0: This episode of the Citadel Cafe is brought to you by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com thecitadelcafe the Citadel Cafe to find out how you can become a patron and help make this show possible. This is the Citadel Cafe, episode number 462 for Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan, and the Citadel Cafe is where my friends and I hang out to talk about the geeky stuff that we are into. Joining me this week, the long-lost Brocket Vola is back at the Cat Volver on all the social media that matters. Hello, sir.
1: Hi, how you doing? I know some people are like, keep him lost. He's gone forever. <laughs> but I'm back, and I've told myself... Three different things I will not talk about on the show because that's all I talk about. And I almost just mentioned him. I was like, but well, that's basically breaking the rules, the old Pee Wee Herman uh, playhouse style where you say the word and it, everyone screams. Ah, <laughs> so I'll avoid, I'll avoid the things I always talk about if I can. Um, but if I don't, the Brock Evola drinking game lives on. So it's great to talk to you, Joel. I know it's been a long time. Lots of it has been. Yeah. Lots of moving pieces in my life. And um, just timing wise, yeah. But it's great to be back here in the spring, if you can call it spring.
0: Hey, you know what? First day of spring was the other day. Technically, we are there. I mean, in in Canada, that is up for debate. There's usually a there's I, I've I've always loved this meme that circulates online where it's like you know there's first winter, <laughs> and then there's yeah. fake winter, then there's real winter, <laughs> and then there's real winter number two, fake spring, winter number three, <laughs> fake spring number two. <laughs> winter yeah. you know like winter flashback or something and then finally spring but it's like two weeks long and then it's just summer like it just yeah. it's really messed up how how things change so quickly and, and then can't make up their minds but um thankfully the thing that i'm enjoying so much recently is the time change which i prefer the daylight time uh where we're now um you mm-hmm. and i in the u.s and canada change at the same time there's some people in the other parts of the world that are changing this weekend i think but oh. I, I don't mind it still being a little dark when I go to the gym at 7 o'clock because it was still light outside at like 8.30 last night when I was watching TV. I was like, this is great. I, I like this. And it's getting to the point where I'm thinking about putting my barbecue out. Like I'm I'm looking forward to the chiller evenings of being able to be outside and not necessarily, you know, inside on a screen all the time. Although that is one thing mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about at the top of the show because I've been trying to find new games to play on the Xbox Series X and specifically like either newly released games or games that have been developed for the Xbox Series X. There's a lot of games that are available on Game Pass, but they're either old, they're like um, definitive editions or like updated editions or something, optimized editions, but they've been out since like 2017, 2019. Like I'm looking for something that's been released in the last six months or is going to be coming up. And so one of the things I'm looking forward to uh, and I just haven't pulled the trigger on is playing Jedi Fallen Order because Jedi Survivor is coming in April, and I feel like yeah, I have I, enough time now between now and the end of the month in April that I could probably like play through Jedi Fallen Order and then kind of jump right ready. on to Survivor. It looks pretty cool. I don't. I've heard some complaints about it, but I I'm not planning on playing it on super hard mode.
1: The combat difficulty for the Jedi game. Jedi following the first one, maybe they've curbed it a bit better is either like you play it on easy to make it a little bit more like, oh, I could just get through the story fast and kind of hack and slash, or you play it on anything but easy. And then you're a lot more like Dark Souls asking, like, I need to read the opponent. I need to be able to strike and defend myself a little bit more um, than just like, you know, like a real quote unquote real kind of more combat system. Um, I've heard that as part of the curb of at least the first fall in order. So, yeah.
0: And I just watched an eight minute uh, clip of gameplay from Jedi Survivor where they've got five different lightsaber stances. There's regular two handed lightsaber lightsabers in each hand. So dual wield. There's a cross guard lightsaber, a double bladed lightsaber, and then a combo lightsaber blaster because you're not like necessarily a Jedi Jedi. You're. A padawan that managed to get squeak by Order Sixty Six, and so you you're not really a Jedi Master. You're just kind of squeaking by, you know, in in the world. Um, yeah, by, like an ab Yeah. Anyway, it 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 looks cool. Uh, the graphics look nice, and I just I like the. I'm so in, into Star Wars. I just like the nerdy stuff of like having to mm-hmm. fight troopers and battle droids and all that kind of stuff. But whenever I go looking for a new game, I ultimately come up against some of the rpg tropes because i do like a good rpg but i find so often right now it's all this monster hunter stuff Mm -hmm. and i saw this ad uh and i watched like a five minute game review on ign for atlas fallen which is coming out in may and it's still a little choppy apparently like the ign reviewer said like it looks cool and it's a fun game it's got a good loop it's a little crunchy right now. Like some of the frame rates are not the greatest and they need to smooth things out a bit, but optimization aside, like it's a fun, fun game, but really it just looks like another take on monster hunter. Like you get your dude, you, you gear up, you get a special weapon thing, and then you go out and you fight monsters that are as big as houses. You eventually kill them. And then you get stuff from them that you then go back to town create more gear create more weapons and then go out rinse and repeat and the monsters just get bigger harder different you know as you go on and i i've always preferred like the games where you're you're going on at least a little bit of a story or you've got um different kinds of enemies that are like more your size like i I, i've never really got into the whole monster hunter thing yeah because there's a new one that just came out on on Game Pass. And I mean, I I should try the one on Game Pass cuz it's free to me like I have the subscription and I have access to it. I should just give it a go and see if I like it or not. But I find that these days I'm just so particular with my time as to what I'm going to bother to download it and invest, you know, a couple of hours in. And mm-hmm. um I just haven't pulled the trigger, but Atlas Fallen at least looks cool. You're in a desert and one of the abilities that you get is like a sand slide. So think like a Naruto run from from like anime but oh okay you're just kind of gliding as if you're on a on a snowboard that doesn't exist so instead of sprinting you kind of have this cool movement ability and the thing that i think is appealing about um Atlas Fallen so far is is the ability to double jump air dash combined with sand sliding it really feels like you're quite mobile so it almost feels like you're Like a little bit of Spider-Man, you know, you're not quite Superman, but like you've got those kind of superhuman abilities where you can like jump up cliffs and jump farther than the average person. And so it gives you access to the world. And if it's open world, then there might be some secrets to climb up to the top of something. And apparently there's crafting material. So there's probably a lot to do and it Mm. looks cool in the the desert, but like, I just don't know if the combat to me would just get repetitive after a little while. Have you played many Monster Hunter games?
1: No, honestly, my... My friend Dan is super big in monster hunter and trying to get me into it. And I played a little bit of, I think three or something, but, um, the main gratification points of the series of monster hunter and in the sort of elk now, aren't the main parts of most video game RPGs that I lean towards. Like I do like story progression, but I also like character progression. I like yeah getting better items and is cool and crafting to some degree is cool but generally if i had to craft my skills or craft my items i just google online how to do it like that's not something that i like to tinker with and experiment Mm. with like so that part never grabbed me and then the general monster hunter aesthetic of essentially the instant gratification of fighting boss after boss and just kind of doing that instead of having to to wander through you know the endless minions over and over again that only vaguely have different designs like i get that and there's some of that 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 makes some sense i played shadow colossus way back in the day i think on ps2 and it's been redone and the whole gist of that was just ride around a beautiful countryside and find these giant colossus and just defeat them um but there was no crafting in that it was a very clean simple thing and, and to some degree i felt like a little less overwhelming um, but no, I mean, the, the Monster Hunter motif, again, it's not going to grab me. I I, w- I would like Monster Hunter if it was paired more with a lot more, um, maybe even if it was first-person shooter and it had a lot more skills and RPG elements where I could develop myself as opposed to my gear, um, I think. Because as, as far as I'm aware of, none of the Monster Hunter games do you like... Level up your jump or level up your speed. Now, I, I, I might be wrong. I mean, obviously those things have changed a lot over the time. But, but uh, to your point, I think with most big open world games and most big open world games where you're trying to find even bigger monsters, like it kind of makes no sense for the map to be small and you're just bumping elbows with giant monsters. So to have the mobility you're describing makes those periods between boss fights a little bit more interesting because that's another point that I always worry about is like where's that monster that's not so hard for me to kill oh it's like i gotta travel across half the world on a map and like usually this is where the minions would be involved and i would have some fun along the way versus you know not so you know a lot of that i think is probably tinkered with over the years but yeah monster hunter concept those sort of structure that style hasn't grabbed me as much either
0: and i feel like when you fight smaller uh enemies it helps you as a character feel sort of badass right like if you're taking on one or two another humanoid or whatever and at first they become a they're a problem but then the the first weapon upgrade you get or the first power upgrade you get in terms of a new ability then all of a sudden you can take on two or three of these things and you're and you're fine i think that that is a cool way to make the player feel powerful but when you're always Mm. going up against something the size of a bus or bigger and you know it's going to be a 10 minute fight like you just you never really feel you know you feel like you're surviving that fight not that you're necessarily winning that fight i i feel and i i say that having not really played any of the monster hunter games but i just i see a lot of them around and one thing that's been on my radar is diablo 4 and i think that goes too far the other way like i was watching uh a streamer play diablo 4 the other day and i think it was tango tech and I mean, they're a great streamer, very entertaining and fun dude. But it, the re- the repetition of going through these minions that were being thrown at him. And he was like a level 18 or 20 wizard or something like that. And it was the same two or three abilities that he kept on using over and over again. And you're just watching these demons come out of the ground, explode in a big pile of guts. And then, you know, you turn the corner and more come out. I'm just like, this is just, it's like a click fest. I don't, I don't see. Yeah. there does, There's not quite as much. Skill involved I mean, like I say that, and then there's also you know like I played World of Warcraft for years, which is tab targeting, so it's not even action based like it's just it's you're kind of clicking and waiting in that in that situation, but I think with with Wow, the thing that I enjoyed was like the uh, AOE combinations, or you know working with a a partner or a, a a crew of people to like achieve something well, I guess the really the thing there is that you're going through a dungeon up to a big final boss in World of Warcraft. And you do the same thing in Diablo, I guess. But I find that with World of Warcraft, it was a little bit repetitive. But at least with the boss fight, like you felt like you needed all of your friends to do it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, going through uh, and fighting the room to room, like it would still be hairy. Like you couldn't just walk in there, the five of you, and not think about it, depending on your level, I guess. But if you were kind of new to the dungeon, you kind of had to pay attention. So I don't know. I'm finding it difficult to... Find a unique game experience. Now, some of that has to do with so much of my time being spent in Minecraft and other sandbox games. Like, I'm also really excited about City Skylines 2 coming out, which is a pretty nerdy, you know, thing to be to be into. It's certainly not exciting in terms of a video game. It's just kind of like that chill experience. So I kind of keep my radar open for that kind of stuff too. But yeah, I've just been in the mood to do something a little bit more. And it's funny because like I own Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and I've played it for a few hours, and I just can't seem to get really into it. It's there's something to be said for when worlds are too vast, too open, like the completionist in me just kind of like, I don't have 70 hours to devote to, to this game, <laughs> you know, to yeah. sail around and look at every town and, and stuff like that. But Assassin's Creed does a good job of making you feel powerful when you're one-on-one, but very quickly reminding you, like if you're not halfway through this game yet, you can't take on three dudes at once, you know, and, and survive if you don't know the, yeah. the mechanics. And I found that Valhalla was really different because you'd have, as you were talking about with Jedi Fallen Order, in terms of the, um, the, the the Souls games, you with Valhalla, you really have to wait for someone to attack you. Like you have to wait and then block and then counter. You can't go in swinging like in Black Flag, where you kind of like spun around and did a lot of parrying and a lot of like take on three guys at once, like like Batman in the Arkham games. It was more of a a slow kind of methodical repetition in in Valhalla at least so far once you get your Assassin's Blade it's a little bit you know more straightforward of trying to pick off people one at a time and I usually prefer Assassin's games to be like that like I'd rather sneak around and grab people and then kind of go Mm -hmm. in guns a-blazing and and what guns there's no guns in in Valhalla (laughs) but you know what I mean like just with dual axe kind of like go berserk you know I'm more of a single axe uh shield guy in Valhalla because I find that uh at the moment early in the game I'm pretty squishy I don't, despite this big dude that I am, I I find that if I take on two or three big guys at once, I don't end up doing very well. So um, yeah, I've just, I've been struggling to find a modern RPG that is not just a copy of another genre that I've seen everywhere. You know, Um, I was tempted Mm -hmm. to get back into Destiny, but again, like, it's just one of those things where like, when you've been out of something for so long, it's almost harder to get back into a game that you used to play than it is to just start something fresh and new. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. It's hard to build on. It's not always like riding a bike. Sometimes when you go back to a game that you were excellent at, it's the foundations are there, but it, it it can be difficult. Like it's almost easier sometimes to process just new, you know, mental pathways for a game that you've never touched versus trying to reinvigorate old ones. And then there's always that frustration, like, oh, I used to be so good at this. Why am I like doing so poorly right now? And then the frustration sits in and then that's the opposite of why you've gone to the game for the relaxing or the fun or the strategy. So yeah, it can be really difficult in that manner.
0: Are you playing anything new these days?
1: Uh, No, not much. I mean, the only thing, um, there was an indie my friend really loved. and My other friend just started called Inscription. um, And I call it an indie. I don't, if it's unless it's a like a AAA title company thing, I just assume it's independent. But I think it's by Devolver, which is not. It's, I believe is an indie studio, but not like a nobody. Like people know of them. Um, anyway, and the the gist of it is really interesting and cool. I'm playing on the Switch, and it's one of these card based games, um, very similar to Slay the Spire okay. or mm-hmm. um, in some not the Hack and Slash of Hades, but um, the sort of live die repeat model and um you get cards and you progress along a table the aesthetic's cool you're in an attic sitting across from a pair of eyes floating in the darkness it is creepy the whole (laughs) aesthetic's very creepy um and the gist is like you're there and you're gonna play this card game with this mysterious thing in the attic um until you beat it or die and then when you die um the the game goes on and there's other things that have, that happen. There's lots of little cute things that happen. And and I played Spire and Hades. One of the things that eventually kind of bothered me about those games though is sure you would sort of change your base enough every playthrough. And so you would over time be a little bit less squishy or a little bit more powerful than the very first time you played. But sometimes with that it, it did feel like I'd bang my head against the wall where like I'd had a really deep run, and the next run I would be so incredibly short, and then I'd have another short run, and I'd be like, those types of things would bother me because I was never a platformer person, I was never somebody who would, who could play Super Mario Brothers and literally just bang my body against the wall for like four hours until um until like, oh. I now know the the, the reason the the how-to of the situation. Another reason why the Monster Hunter games can be more difficult for me. Um so I like my strategy more as like turn based than than real time. So um but inscription's fun. the base card game is interesting. The thing that's really a selling point, I think, is how creepy it is, but also beyond that, it's like a game within a game, and I will hypothesize having played probably only about three, eight, four hours of it. I almost want to say maybe within another game, because you, I don't know how much to give away, but basically you start to play the game. You already have their sort of antennas peaked. You start to play this game and then you're in this attic. It's in 3D. You're looking at these eyeballs, but you can stand up from the table where you play the card game and walk around this attic room and there's things you can interact with. Kind of like mist, but not really like you can touch it and it doesn't do anything at first. Um, And then as you play the card game, which you have to sit down at the table and play across from the floating eyeballs, um, uh, then as you play through it, he talks to you, the cards talk to you a little bit. And so you start to develop this sort of idea of like, what is happening around me? Um, And then I think that's the grab for me is not necessarily how in Hades and Slay the Spire, it's like over time, I will eventually defeat this impossible thing because I will bully my way through it and develop my myself i haven't seen so much development of your quote unquote first person character playing this game um as much as i've seen the development of the things around me the room the circumstances um and i think that can be a little bit more engaging if you're not as interested in just the mechanics of the game changing like the card game because the mechanics of this greater game are changing so um that that makes it a little bit more interesting pretty cool um again it, it's creep it has some creep factor it has some jokes it's i wouldn't say it's like you're sitting down and playing um uh uh, uh what's one of these it's super terrifying it's not like a slender man game it's not like a, a spook em, jump 'em jump out game right um so far but the the aesthetic and the theme is dark uh bloody and um somber like the the gist is basically this thing in the attic will kill you once you fail at the card game so that is established <laughs> but you're not like shown as being buddied and battered and it doesn't like pop out of the corner and stab you with a knife so those are good things so if you're okay with just this general aesthetic of it feeling kind of creepy then you'll be good and and that's where i kind of am good because i i don't mind it being unsettling um as long as basically i'm not every four seconds like throwing my switch in the air because something popped out which is i think counterproductive so yeah yeah, i'm not a big
0: i'm not a big jump scare guy in film games doesn't really matter i don't tend to play the the horror stuff anything that's kind of gross for the sake of being gross i'm not really on board with whereas like again well again a a good example diablo 4 like it's kind of gross and bloody and is demonic but like it's called for because you're fighting the armies of hell you know like i i get mm-hmm. it uh, i'm not necessarily gross and demonic but but the bad guys that i'm fighting just kind of get grosser as, as things go on i get not that i've played diablo 4 but i did spend a lot of time playing diablo 3 so similar kind agreed, of agreed yeah similar kind of just vibe in, you know and that, and that makes sense you know i honestly i i like a good cartoony game just as much as i like a good kind of like a realistic rpg as well Um uh, speaking of yeah, card games uh my my co-host johnny on the spawn chunks is very interested in spending a lot of time playing marvel snap have you played marvel snap at
1: all i have played marvel snap it is really fun i i yeah it it, it hit a point after about a week and a half where i was like okay i, I you know hmm. other than me paying for like the new cards and seeing new locations not enough is changing for for this to be an ongoing passion but literally if i have like only five minutes and i just want to like tune out you could easily get maybe two even three games done in like less than 10 minutes which is remarkable for most player versus player type games and i'm sure there's bots i mean there's tons of bots all over the place but yeah still it's 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 cute it's fun it's simple it's three rounds or not three rounds three locations six rounds unless something changes and yeah, it goes by pretty good. So I I I know some people who who have turned that as a as like a minor side obsession.
0: I, I enjoyed briefly my time in Hearthstone, but I feel like the digital card game just again it got really repetitive for me. And then there's the meta that was involved in that, and mm-hmm. so I haven't really pulled the trigger on, on Marvel Snap. I don't necessarily think I need something on a mobile device that's going to distract me more than they already do. Uh, so with the investment that I have in the Xbox series X and the Xbox game pass, like usually if I'm not gaming on a stream, then I'm sitting on the couch with, with that looking to do something in those, like those game genres, but, um, I haven't seen many card games. I'm sure they exist, but I just haven't been looking for them or they don't exist on, Game Pass, they they might be in the Microsoft store. I just, I'm not looking to usually pick up any any games, but usually if it's free in that realm, then there's always some sort of like, not necessarily pay to win, but like it's pay to play at a pace that you will
1: enjoy. <laughs> yeah, it- that's, that's a good way to put it. I think Snap had a point where it was like, okay, if I don't pay for the seasons, there's not going to be enough new content consistently to hmm. keep me... "Quote unquote grinding" or whatever. Yeah, I I will say uh, as far as the granddaddy of card games, I really enjoy Magic Gathering Arena Uh, a lot of. I think it's gotten a lot of slack at first, but I think they've made a lot of good changes to it over time. But you are, whereas a lot of these games that get ported as like whatever it is, the card game gets ported into the digital verse. Like this is just a very optimized digital version of playing the real card game. Like there are certain parts of the game where they've made, oh, this is digital only versions of the cards. But really and truly, if you go to the store and buy a pack or you play Arena, it's the exact same cards, the exact same art, the exact same powers. And you play it the exact same way as you would sitting across the table. Except, Joel, I don't have to tell Laura that I just spent $30 on pieces of cardboard that are going to sit and gather dust as I stare (laughs) at a small box of those things. And instead, Joel, what I get to do is I literally probably have at least 10 times the collection of cards digitally than I ever had in the heyday of buying packs. And it's, and I, I think that to me is more gratifying because truly the game allows you to manipulate decks using wild cards and stuff. So you can still. There's no trading. You're not trading actively with other players. So you're losing the community sense of like, oh, I've got this. What's the value of that? But I was so like antsy about that. So avoiding that, I can build the decks I want using wild cards. Um, There is a meta to it and there is a ranked system to it. So if you do do that sort of stuff, that can get intimidating, like with any kind of one of these online things that's building a community. But there's a lot of different gameplay styles. They brought in some of the more popular uh, forms of magic, not just the Basic sixty cards, but the commander style, um, which is called Brawl, and and different things. So I've enjoyed that. If if somebody out there was like, man, I really miss Magic the Gathering, but boy, I cannot put myself through spending that, that much amount of money on that much amount of stuff that sits around and I don't know what to do with. Like Magic Arena is really nice, and they keep the releases of it timed with the reality. So after about three months, there's a fresh set of cards. And the way the game is set up, um, I really haven't paid for any. I mean, you don't have to pay for anything. Like, you can progress quickly um, to that do that sort of stuff. But they have, like, a daily gold thing. And if you play it right, I think you can kind of get through um, drafting things and then also building decks, which are sort of the two main things. But that's really it. I mean, I played Snap, played that. But as far as everything else is concerned, like, I pretty much don't keep up with too many games these days. Well, it sounds like the Switch is the right platform for you then, right? Oh, it was when it was created, it was perfect because since we've moved to Texas, I've only vaguely had my PS4 hooked up. And and though I pine for the days of PS5 or probably at this point, PS6 um, and playing something like Hogwarts Legacy or any of these games you described, Joel, that feel like super optimized, um, like the Spider-Man 2 game or or any of these, like all these things I'm just drooling to play at some point in time. Um, I just know that I, I won't have the time to sit in front of a TV in a special room, whereas the switch can go with me anywhere. And the fact that they're about to release the second breath of the wild, and like talk about running around a world, like I'm total, <laughs> I'm total hypocrite jerk now. Cause I'll be like, I'll do that all day. <laughs> for mm-hmm. Zelda. Yeah. But, but I think, I think again, um, there's certain aesthetic things that are just different. But yeah, the, the Switch is just perfect. Uh, I get made fun of. I get my yearly rundown from Nintendo and it tells you the number of hours you spend docked or and handheld. And last year in 2022, I spent one hour docked and like over 90 hours handheld. Like, right. And I have the basic one. I don't mm. even have the like small one that's own, that can't be docked. Like I had the original one and I'm fine with that. And I dock it more for the girls now. Like we play Mario card, and yeah. uh, Ainsley, um Amy's been into Just Dance and that sort of stuff. But if it's docked, it's for my family. If it's in my hands, it's usually for me. That's how my niece plays. She
0: has it in the car with her sometimes or she'll take it to um, her mom's place. But with the docking, it's usually, as far as I can tell, I'd say that's probably when Andrea, her husband, and... Kaylee want to play Mario Kart together, or mm-hmm. sometimes even just Andrea and Nick want to play, you know, Mario Kart when Kaylee's in bed, you know, <laughs> and they don't, they don't want to do it on a small screen with the small controllers. Like they want to use the full size thing. I don't blame them because I've tried before and I, the little controllers, I can't, I can't handle it. It's, they're too small for me. <laughs> um, apparently, Kaylee is getting really good at Mario Kart. I'll have to, if she ever comes over to visit sometime, I'll have to see what what she does with Forza Horizon 5, because you can grab some cars that are not as fast as the others and kind of like still have uh, a decent experience. It would be really fun to watch her because she knows how to use a controller and steer a car. And they're no different. Like the controls in Mario Kart are very similar to Forza. There's just, there's no turtle shells and stars, but there's also no jumping <laughs> and underwater stuff either. But uh well i shouldn't say that there is jumping in force but just not in the same way that it would happen in in mario kart but yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's all fun stuff it's really cool to see i mean you and i grew up like a generation of console gamers it's kind of cool to see parents gaming with kids because my parents never gamed with me it was always myself yeah. and my friends right street fighter or mario super mario world mario kart was a big one like it was always over going over to scott's place or him coming over to mine and and playing together but then not like the family never really did much scott's mom was into tetris like she would sit there and play tetris in the afternoon with her coffee but like it was never like a she wouldn't play the games that we would play because we were always into like the shoot 'em up beat 'em up whatever it was you know usually it was a turn that down being screamed from the other room is how they interacted with us when we were playing video games Moving on to the main discussion this week, we are going to be talking about Mandalorian Season 3. As of today, the fourth episode premiered. I have seen it, but Brockett has not, so I'll keep the spoilers light uh, or just hints on Episode 4. There's not really a much. There's not a big plot you know, drop in Episode 4, but uh, Episodes 1, 2, and 3 we will be talking about in detail. So if, if you have not seen those, then be cautious going forward, listener, as we talk about those episodes of the Mandalorian. Uh, I really enjoyed the way that they kicked the season off episodes one and two. I thought were pretty solid in terms of where we were going. Uh, What surprised me was how quickly we kind of not necessarily resolved, but certainly moved through what I thought was going to be the season long arc, or at least the half season long arc of Din Djarin, redeeming himself in the mines of mandalore yeah we found out in the book of boba fett um that because dinjarin had removed his helmet that the armorer had disavowed him from their i can't remember enclave i can't remember what they call it i think it's a i mean it's borderline cult or at least a religious extreme group within mandalorian culture and so in order to redeem himself uh he had to go to the mines of mandalore and bathe in the life-giving waters um which is just basically a lake in the mine um but it was um resolved in the first two episodes i want to say uh and so i was like okay well where are we going from here and and so that kind of kicked us off uh to the races so i mean how how did you find the first couple of episodes landed with you
1: so mandalorian comes out originally season one very very popular, I think, off the jump, but also was like had to be popular for Disney Plus really to have any content when it first launched, and it started off very slow, methodical space western. Never takes off his helmet, barely talks. Oh, but here's Baby Yoda. Oh my gosh! Now there's merchandise all over the place. And as the series evolved, I I don't mind. I've enjoyed it. I know there are people who are more resistant to it, and I think have now pulled back from Mandalorian and been more into um, Andor or other elements of the Star Wars universe. But Mandalorian is just too popular not to have more guest stars, more appearances, more ties to other IPs within Star Wars. Um, you know, I think at this point most people know that Ahsoka had an appearance and now she has a spin-off and Boba Fett made his resurrection and then he had his spin-off and then oh by the way I told my parents a bunch of times when they didn't see Book of Boba Fett, "Uh, go watch Book of Boba Fett at least halfway through to the end, because if you start Mando season three, you will be lost, Mm -hmm. because that is also something they did not, like, broadcast. Like, truly, Book of Boba Fett should have just been, like, maybe Mando season 2.5 by the way it ended, which book of boba fett is well documented i think we even talked about last time i was on the show um our problems with it um but the content of mando and book of boba fett i thought was pretty good really good. yeah season yeah. three start yeah yeah exact, exactly exactly was like to the point where it was like can we get rid of all this yucky boba fett stuff and can we just focus <laughs> back on yeah mandalorian which is to your point like season one starts and it's almost like a gather ye ye folks Sitch, he's like popping, again, I think, you know, we're expediting things in the current streaming universe where like season, early seasons, things take a certain amount of time. Season three, he's like popping the planet to planet. And he's like, I'm gonna go see these peeps. I'm gonna see these peeps. Oh, I used to be really guarded and I still am to some degree, but now I'm saying how much everyone's my friend and like all this sort of stuff. And like it's character evolution. And he's sort of becoming more of this warm daddy character uh go figure Pedro Pascal becomes more of a, a, a humanized daddy figure <laughs> if you know anything about that actor like he is so freaking charming like he's like I, I told Laura I was like I would probably just I'd like clutch myself if I was in his presence I'd be like you are just so charming you're so cool which is hilarious because if they've re cannot take off his home and I'm like I'm sure Pedro flipped through those script pages and was like really We've doubled down now. I had like a brief window and now you've screwed it. Like, come on, John Favro. But um, to your point, like, Oh, mine's a Mandalore. We're building this up. We're building this up in the first episode. He's zipping around, pops in the Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan just sits there all like mopey-popey in her little throne thing, which I was like, all right, this seems kind of crappy for that character to suddenly be so mopey after like having such a great bringing her out. in I think season three of season two or
0: episode three, I felt that too. I thought I thought the Bo-Katan reveal in season
1: three was weird. It felt oddly out of character. Right. Which, now that we've seen up to episode three, I think they've redeemed that, but it was almost kind of like, okay, quickly we got to reestablish that one, Mando knows where she is at a moment's notice, two, that she's nearby, and three... Uh, for anybody who doesn't know who this is, we we give them a brief touch. And so by that point, when she shows up in more of a capacity that I was expecting in right. episode two and three, um, I enjoyed it. But that first episode was really strange. Other than like a joke with with Grogu and trying to have the robot as a pet, like those moments are nice. They were, I think, characterizing Grogu really well in the early seasons as this like fun, like... Uh, mischievous little child, and then they got so heavy into like his his meaning in the series that sometimes it's hard to strike that balance. Like right now, thus far, I think I think it was episode two. I think Joel was the one where Grogu kind of has his own adventure. um That was kind of cool to see because it's something that we don't get to see a lot, which is just Grogu on his own. Um, but to your point, it's weird. It's kind of like what are the major arcs what are the major points you're almost ripping through some of these ideas they've already been to the minds of mandalore they've come back out bo-katan's more involved the dark saber which felt like it was going to be such a massive crux for everything going forward is now almost like an afterthought sometimes so i i worry how much john favreau at this point is a Just like, okay, here's a gist idea of where we want to go this season. Here's some main key points. I'll kind of help flesh out some of the scripts. Whereas before, he was writing every script. And I mean, at this point, I'm sure he's had some fatigue. Also, he probably has had some wandering head syndrome of like, I want to go look at some other series maybe or maybe do something else. Like, I don't want to be on Mando, the most popular Disney Plus show for the next like 40 years. So like, at some point, I got to hand some of this off. And I think that's where we're, I'm starting to see some of the cracks in this series. So I I will be curious to see how the season ends because I really felt season two ended strongly, even with all the tie-ins to all the greater universe that I know turned some people off. But um, how have you enjoyed just the general progression of the series? Have you felt like it should have gone back to its sort of solo wander, you know, like uh, Kung Fu, the legend continues wandering the desert type of, ancient samurai type, or have you enjoyed more of the world expanding and, and crossover that season two and, and some of three have had? I like the
0: expansion and I like the crossover bits, even if they're not always executed the best technically. Uh, mm-hmm. it's the spirit of, you know, Luke Skywalker at the end of season two, coming and saving the day and getting Grogu. It was a great fan moment and it was a cool story beat, but then at the same time, they've kind of retconned it again. And Grogu has chosen to go with with mandalorian and yeah like this all happens in book of boba fett which i agree i think that they could have i think they could be calling these se- seasons uh chapter one chapter two chapter three but like with a name so chapter one the mandalorian chapter two i don't know the jedi or like, wh- whatever it is because and the jedi wouldn't give anything away because the whole season two is mando trying to get Grogu to the jedi because that's Correct. his mission right and I feel like they could could have easily called the book of Boba Fett the Mandalorian Chapter Three Book of Boba Fett, and then they just yeah. well, they would have to sprinkle some Mandalorian earlier on in the season. But other than that, it's really good from the mid season on. And as soon as there's the Mando episode, even when you get back to Tatooine and you're dealing with with Boba Fett and um, Fennec Shan and all that stuff, it's fine. Like it's it's much better yeah. than the first half of the season. Um, yeah. I think that. The progression in season three, there has been some pacing problems for me, but I also think that they presented the Mandalorian season one uh, as like a self-contained kind of like, this is what we're doing. It got a lot of attention and then they made, they said, all right, well, now we need to knock it out of the park for season two. But I think now with the immense popularity of the show that they're going long game. And I think that's where you're going to see Filoni come in. And I think that's where you're going to see Filoni shine. And I I think that, you know, and we'll get into the episode three talk because I feel like that's a really good example of this is like the Filoni pace where you've got seven years of the Clone Wars and you've got all of the stuff that you can flush out and tie into the main Star Wars saga, uh, Skywalker saga. And I feel like with Mandalorian season three, they've slowed it down. And the first episode is fine. You kind of get off to the races. There is that cool pirate fight in space. You know, there is some action. But there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of planning. There's a lot of yeah. character development. Like, just even communicating to you that Grogu is a little bit more than just a baby. You know, like, he very much They they communicate that he understands everything people are saying. He just doesn't say anything himself. Yeah. But he gets yeah. it. You don't have to speak down to him. But then he also doesn't have any social um boundaries uh, i can't remember the name of the little droid fixer guys they're only little they're like the size of doozers from fraggle rock they're just oh, like yeah, four little inches little tall things. anyway grogu thinks it's a pet and keeps on trying to hug it and the thing's like no, no no bad baby and there's all this kind of fun dialogue and then you've got these great like classic star wars shots of like mando in their workshop sitting his head is touching the ceiling and his butt is on the floor and he's trying to have a conversation with these guys trying to fix the ig88 droid and Grogu is then trying to hug them like, a, like it's almost like a dog that's jumping on people and you don't want it to. Um, so there's a great character development that happens in the first couple of episodes, but then they switch the pacing. And I think that they're, I think that they're doing a good job. And in episode four, without revealing too much, I think they're starting to point at who the antagonist might be for the series. And I think people are going to be surprised. And I hope that they go the way that I think they're going because it will make it way more interesting than just be insert imperial or ex-imperial baddie here all dressed in black. You know, like I don't want the baddie Mm -hmm. for the season or the puppeteer for the season to be Moff Gideon. I don't particularly like Moff Gideon at all. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that they take it in a slightly different direction. And the cool thing about season three and its pace is that we are getting to see more of the culture of Mandalore and in particularly the the Mandalorian culture within the Enclave, which is more strict and maybe more extreme than, than most people are used to. Um, but part of, I think it's a line of dialogue from Bo-Katan in episode two. They're talking about how the split of religious practices on mandalore was the reason why mandalore fell to the empire because the idea is that mandalorian warriors would be able to stand up to the empire in theory um if they all stood united but they didn't they were divided they were different beliefs extremists you know some people were like factions that kind of houses that kind of thing different loyalties and yeah Essentially, squabbling amongst themselves made it very easy for the Empire to just come in and just wipe the floor with them. um I'd argue that when you're bombing an entire planet from space, I don't care how united you are <laughs> you know you're you're gonna get like raffle stomped i think um
1: yeah and and I yeah. think
0: that that but it it pointed out again like it gives an interesting history and it really gives more credence to. Bo-Katan's desire to unite and lead Mandalore which is I think something her father did I can't really remember all the details but But
1: Clone Wars and stuff yeah yeah.
0: because because in Clone Wars you actually see Mandalore there's a really cool series of episodes where um, Anakin and Obi-Wan go to Mandalore there's even like a romance between Obi-Wan Kenobi and one of the Mandalorian leaders and it never goes anywhere because of course Jedi can't have relationships like that but they certainly allude to it and then you see the disposition of a live action Mandalore as Bo-Katan uh, descends and looks over, you know, the now fallen city and it's all in ruins because everything's been melted from the bombardment from the empire. Like it's, it's really, yeah. really interesting and the rumors of the place being haunted or toxic or whatever we're all just kind of like spread around to keep the mandalorians from returning home and gathering forces and obviously like their culture has been nearly wiped out of the galaxy that would make you mad and if you (laughs) say oh by the way you can never return to your home planet i mean that that basically is a great way through the rumor mill to keep the mandalorians divided in these little culverts right that they can't they can't you know unite all together
1: right they don't have a no home base, no central. Yeah. Like, if you don't, if you can't reunite around the Alamo after it's fallen to storm back against the oppressors or Helm's Deep or whatever, like, these, like, iconic places, in this case, your planet, which essentially has been memorialized in ruins and glass surface. Like, it's it's the most, like, like post-war monument version of anything that you rally behind, to your point. Exactly. It's like... If you keep people away from there and you keep them all disparate and you keep them separated, which is what destroyed them in the first place, like then metaphorically, there is no joining. There is no rah, rah, reunite and kind of come back. um at not you know, as, as Bo-Katan has hoped to do and has kind of stumbled over and over again at this point in the series.
0: And there were some really interesting, you know, action sequences and character sequences in episode two, where you've got you know, Bo-Katan coming to save Dinjar and the fact that Grogu was able to return to the ship after Din was captured by the spider droid thing, which we got no explanation for. Which I I kind of enjoy the fact that it was just this weird droid thing <laughs> that just existed Agreed. in the slag of of uh, Mandalore, but it kind of gives you the idea of like, okay, well, if there's these flying dragon bat things and there's this droid thing which is obviously uh, a sentient being then what else has survived on the surface Mm -hmm. of mandalore right like what what has changed you know like to me like when that robot got out of the the droid thing got out of the the spider bot chassis and it was walking around it reminded me of a geonosian the way that it moved and, oh, and i thought yeah. yeah no it just but and and geonosians were very technical they were they mm-hmm. had droid armies you know they were the ones that designed the death star so like mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff was was something i was like this has got some serious tie-ins and i'm so glad that they're not smacking you in the face with it like it doesn't mm-hmm. speak and make clicks like one it just it's utterly silent it's just an eyeball and i'm assuming a bit of a brain behind it um but all that stuff happens and then Bo-Katan shows up. She's able to use the dark saber with Din Djarin can barely lift. And she uses <laughs> that in conjunction with, I can't remember what it's called, but she's got like an energy shield as like part of her, her bracer, part of her, her arm, uh, arm brace. And it's a really cool visual to see a lightsaber with a light shield kind of like used in combat by a Mandalorian. And, uh, I'm curious to see how that's going to pan out because, the fact that she can lift it and wield it and and Dinjarin can't, and yet he's our main protagonist. It's a it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. And yeah. I, I like the, you know, the the more activity that they're giving to Grogu. Um we get a little bit more of that in episode four, again, without really spoiling anything. But like they're making Grogu more mobile and they're making Grogu more uh he has more interactions with other people than dinjarin which i think is really interesting right physically because like grogu has to if he's going to be hanging around dinjarin like he needs to be able to get out of trouble he needs to be able to you know stand on his own there's a really really great in his
1: little pod for all of the series like i was like come on is this a super pod like at least he at least he got out and moved but there was a brief moment I was like he just gonna baby carriage like <laughs> like some kind of goofy cartoon through every instance of this world where he just like sits in it like crying on like Teenage yeah. Ninja Turtles like get him out immobile so to your point that was nice
0: yeah I do like how they use it as in like when he gets scared he punches a button and the lid closes <laughs> like there it <laughs> yeah. it does emote in a certain way but there's yeah. the great I can't remember what they're called or if, if they even mentioned it but there are, yeah they did mention it bo-katan says what they're called but they're kind of like these uh ice ape characters that kind of attack mm-hmm. them in the cave on mandalore and one faces off against grogu and it cuts to an exterior shot which is part of the trailer for the season and it goes flying it gets pushed out of the cave you know in the air and grogu exits in the pod with his hand outstretched because he's used the force to push this thing out of the way and i just yeah. i like the they're making grogu more confident which i like because he gives him more character and it 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 really does kind of like give you a little bit more insight into what he's thinking and what he's decided to do. And I think there's going to be an interesting combination. I hope they get to a point where Grogu can talk. I'd imagine it's going to be like a series ender is going to be like the first word or words that come out of Grogu. I don't think they're going to give any breadcrumbs along the way. There was, however, a scene in episode two where Bo-Katan and... um, was Was it? No, it was not season two. I think it was season... This episodes episode three maybe i can't remember when this happened and bo-katan and and uh dinjarin are talking in the cockpit of her ship and she says this is the way he says this is the way blah blah blah. and then grogu says a bunch of gobbling gook but the syllables line up to this is the way
1: this right the or, way, or yeah. the way
0: this is depending on yeah. how he is going to talk uh <laughs> but it but it was very funny and very slow paced but then there's this moment where din looks at grogu and then looks back at Bo-Katan and Bo-Katan looks back at Den, and there's this empty pause of like, what the fuck does happen? Like it was, yeah. It was really, yeah. it was really funny. So I'm sure there's going to be some interesting stuff there. But in episode three, for me, the pacing shift, which is worth it, but maybe could have been executed a little bit differently, was they bookend episode three with these great kind of either interesting Mandalorian character changes with, bo and dinjarin returning to the enclave or the um fight between thai bombers and thai interceptors that happened over one of the moons of mandalore it's the one that bo had her palace on which i don't even know where that came from or why she's there by herself it just seems like one giant throne room it didn't really strike me as like a home
1: at all yeah and the way she reacted to being bombed i was like were were there people there a robot came to talk to you and you kind of acted like you were there in your fortress of solitude so like aesthetically sure the one the last vestiges of undestroyed past is on this planet i get that but emotionally she also sort of had this edge of like oh no my favorite (laughs) my favorite handmaid was in there oh no i don't know where she is like but and so to the point where she was like almost suicidal and trying to destroy these bombers But like, yeah, to your point, it was another moment where I was like, like, fast forward, we got some so that we can have the set piece of this place on the planet, we did not build up to it. And then suddenly it's gone. So like, there are a lot of short short bursts and, and, and the sort of bar chart of this series where some things are moving at a pace, some things moving at a slow pace, and some things are just shooting up and down, just to match whatever pace they need it to be, which you know, I think is where you get discharged because to your your point, I, I think you're about to make about season three, we have one of those weird pacing things.
0: Yeah. And and this is, I feel like it's a felony thing. And I think that there might be a little bit too much or it's, they're relying too heavily on past knowledge of Clone Wars and not even like recent seasons. We're talking like Eight years ago, Clone Wars, where you have to remember that Bo-Katan's house is this place, and they're actually maybe they lived on that moon. Like I feel like I recognize some of the architecture and the design, and it's probably because there were some scenes in Clone Wars that happened there, uh, or maybe even in Rebels, because um, oh, I can't remember her name, Satine Wren, I think is her name. She's mm-hmm. a Mandalorian in Rebels, and and also tied to the dark and you know a bunch of other stuff. And the hard part with with mando is that they they're now trying to both tie in with clone wars and in episode three with this huge change of scenery and change of pace by going back to coruscant which was visually cool uh Mm -hmm. and and dealing with um the the doctor from the first season
1: correct yeah
0: of um the mandalorian he was the the doctor uh pershing that was trying to Um, do tests on Grogu and that's who Mando rescued him from and he is now in some sort of like reform program as imperials are basically being reintroduced into the new republic culture but the new republic is basically like it's, it's they're harsh it's not it's it's like a reintegration program and you're conditioned and brainwashed and like it is i understand that they're trying to unconditioned like people that were doing evil things under the guise of the empire. But then the stuff that they're doing as the new Republic is not good. Like NATO would not approve, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: And so, and it comes to a grinding, grinding halt as far as any kind of action and turns into like a political espionage drama. And the payoff I think is that they're trying to tie now into the Mandalorian the birth of the first order. And like I feel like the extremists within the new republic are going to break off or the the imperials that are able to resist and be like um what's uh the Red Skull uh Hydra. Um, oh Hydra. Like yeah. how Hydra kind of infiltrated and slept within Shield for years until finally in Winter Soldier revealing themselves. I feel like this is what's happening with, with this particular, you know. Set up is that they're showing that the Imperials are not always being course corrected as they think everybody that's part of the new Republic program that we see sounds like they're in a cult like it's they're not they're brainwashed to the point where they're just happy all the time and it feels fake and plastic and to the point where at the end of the episode uh, Pershing has his mind wiped by a former Imperial officer and yeah people have to also understand and remember from Rise of Skywalker, the big monologue that um, Kylo Ren has with um, Sidious with uh, Emperor Palpatine is that he learned how to clone and that um, yeah. Supreme Leader Snoke was a clone, a failed clone of Palpatine. Palpatine, And yeah. here we're seeing former Imperials control the knowledge of cloning by erasing the memory of the most knowledgeable cloning scientist in the now new republic formerly the empire uh he was formerly of the empire and and i feel like they're trying to push kind of like that in there and i feel like mandalorian w- w- is closer to the original trilogy episodes four, five, and six than it is in terms of a timeline to seven, eight, nine. And so it's a reach. It's not hard to imagine tie-ins to clone wars, but it's hard to figure out tie-ins to like, you know, the, the new trilogy, the, the sequel trilogy. So mm-hmm. I'm it wasn't filler. Like it, there was interesting knowledge and you even get like another view of Coruscant in, episode four but they do it the way that they should right it's quicker it fits better with the pace of episode four you still get lots of information that you didn't have before but it it's executed in a way that keeps you engaged and yeah and it, it moves things forward for a character and i think that that's good i think what they could have done better was maybe sprinkle in a little bit more of Mandalorian Bo-Katan stuff in episode three, because really you get like a five-minute pre-credit amazing space fight, you know, air um, spaceship fight. in, yeah. And then it's 40 minutes on Coruscant, and then you get another five or 10 minutes at the end in the Enclave. Uh, it's it, like, it's really off-putting, and I can see where the pace of the show so far has been a little bit more... Star Wars this season than it has been Mandalorian, except for episode three, like Mandalorian season one had that, you know, space Western vibe. Mandalorian season two into book of Boba Fett had a little bit more Star Wars vibe and then season three of Mandalorian episodes one and two Star Wars. Like it was, it was Mando, but it was definitely Star Wars in terms of the pacing. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm liking it. Don't get me wrong. I still really enjoy the show.
1: I thought, yeah, to your point about three, like when it was happening, I was enjoying it, but there was a brief moment towards the end of that storyline um, where I was just like, yeah, I don't know if I want to re Here's my biggest problem. And I love, I, I loved elements of Clone Wars and I loved elements of Rebels. But uh, whereas like Mando season one, I read, I think I rewatch some of that, and and you kind of rewatch some stuff sometimes just to catch back up. Sometimes because you really enjoy it. Um, but like, Clone Wars and Rebels would have these episodes, and this happens with a lot of big series, like you know, like a like a series like Smallville, which I love. Like, there are certain episodes I will rewatch, but there's certain episodes I'm like, oh god, I, I, this would be daunting to rewatch this episode. And so, like, Clone Wars is a long series, sure. But still, even in the moment of Mando season three, there's a point where like, yeah, this episode's one I'm going to skip. Like I've seen it once and it's interesting. But now that I know where everything's going, none of this will be interesting on a second rewatch. Whereas like I feel like Star Wars, when it's at its height, is like enough mythos meets spectacle that you'll rewatch it, even though like you know where the things are going. Like. Yeah. frick we watched like those first three movies for like decades before anything else really came out and i think it's because those things were matched well whereas like something like rogue one the movie to me i've now rewatched a second time and i was like i skipped parts of it i was like this okay i know it's this this is boring to me like i'm not interested in this okay whatever blah blah blah. let's get to this thing and so to me i'm hor- i'm horrible i'm sure but to me, like the movie Rogue One, I'm like, all right, I could have just taken the last act, like the last 30, 40 minutes, and just watch that and been done. Like I don't need any of the other stuff. And I get it, it built characters and those characters were interesting. But for me, it didn't do anything, which is why I haven't really dived very much into Andor, because that was never a character I found interesting. Although I've heard I've heard Andor is the breaking bad of Star Wars. That's what I'm hearing from like my good friends is like the ones that have been Rejecting the new Obi Wan series, didn't like it or didn't, or thought it was like really a cash grab or an executive push. Or, and I enjoyed it, I, I thought it was fine. I mean, I think Ewan finally was able to shine in that the way he was kind of screwed over by the prequels. But, um, but just getting back on topic, I think with episode three. That little micro capsule to your point, it's like, I'm sure in the writer's room, they're like, okay, here's a storyline I like. All right, cool. Give me in M- beats. Maybe we can spread it out. Okay, first beat. Uh, he does this thing. And he talks to some people and he looks sad. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to just show that scene in one episode and then leave. Okay, so give me some more scenes. All right, cool, cool. Um, he talks to some more people. He's slightly less sad and he's thinking a lot about his choices. Cool, cool, cool. Um, also not going to clip that. And put it in for like three minutes in the middle of a really cool like Din Djarin moment. Like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, you know, do that. So so every time they kept coming back, they're probably like, okay, so there's no way we can do the story you want for these people and bits. So we're just gonna dump it. And it's like, okay, you know, we did that with Book of Boba Fett. We basically dumped our Boba Fett story at the beginning, and then yep. we went back to what we were expecting. So to your point, that's sort of how they're doing it a bit, and and Clone Wars would have these kind of like three or four capsule episodes where it would wrap up a kind of storyline that would tie into a greater storyline. But like I knew when I was watching that cartoon, I was like, frig, this whole damn story is going to be on Genosa and it's with the clones. Like I know there's like three episodes with the clones and I don't care about any of these people. I'm just going to skip it. Like I, I can't do it. There's just too many episodes. So like Mandalorian's at a point where I'm like at the beginning and it's the shorter series. So, okay, that's fine. I would be interested to see again like three years down the road mando season six if they're we get that far and um to see if some of these more encapsulated moments are are going to be more of a regularity to your point as they try and slow things down or build out the the you know because it's really hard when you have one show built around one character ensemble shows for a good reason for a long time lasted longer when you had 20 episodes because you wouldn't burn out your main actors or their storylines quicker and so now with mando being like i'm already bathed in these waters dude cool what story arcs do we got oh well i have this one that i've been working on with the scientists oh my god thank god all right how let's put this in here we can build out now we have these people these like sub people that now we can kind of filter out because really mando does not jump around to other characters like If it's not Mando, it's just Grogu and that's it. Like they don't even really like jump over to Bo-Katan unless Bo-Katan is within 15 feet of our main character. So this was really an interesting moment, I think, to your point, um, where Book of Boba Fett is supposed to be its own thing. So uh, you put that aside, it's focused on Boba Fett. This is the first time within Mando where we really are focused on somebody other than Mando for a side story. And I think if that's going to be more of a regular thing, um it, earlier in the season i think is a better time to do it because later in the season when things are hopefully building momentum um it's going to be trickier so yeah um and the performances are good and the story is good yeah i agree i i think the
0: issue is that there are a few things that the prequel series sorry the sequel series failed to do and failed to communicate to the audience. Where did Snoke come from? Why was that important? Um, Snoke was thrown at you in episode one as like a hologram. And in episode two, you meet him briefly and he dies instantly. Sorry, not not episode two, seven and nine. I was thinking in terms of (laughs) the numbers of the sequels, but you know what I mean? Um, So they they get rid of him so quickly without any dialogue or monologue or like, you know, the villain Mm -hmm. doesn't monologue and explain where he came from. You know, like you don't get any of that. And so... Unfortunately, if they're going to explain that in The Mandalorian or in any Star Wars yeah. show, they need to start at the beginning and it's a slow burn and I'm hoping that they it will pay off as as we have more information later. I've got a funny feeling like as the show picks up pace as the season progresses and we do get more bits as Imperial or ex-Imperial movement starts happening in the story, fingers crossed that that's what they're doing i think that you are going to need to know what happens in episode three in order for all the quicker scenes that are going to happen later on in the series to make sense otherwise you would be completely lost and and i think that that's it's one of those kind of like necessary evils they're like yep people are not going to like it the internet is going to lose their mind it's not filler but it's it's definitely a pump in the brakes moment i think a really good example that kind of popped into my brain as you were talking is in terms of an ensemble cast game of thrones when it was good was spread around six different locations and character stories each season
1: and so you so you
0: bounced around a lot and but each story was somehow pushing the main story forward or was setting up political you know sessions for later on down the line that were going to matter and I and I think that that's one of the ways they kept it interesting. They didn't necessarily focus all on one. They at very least they bopped around between three in a single episode. Sometimes you didn't get much from like Aria or John for an episode or two. Um, and I think that that's that's fine because or, or, another example would be Sansa. Because when Sansa was at the capital, like she was prisoner, there wasn't wasn't much going on. And you know I feel like that they handled that well. And in this, it's one of those things where you don't have that big breadth of character. And I think they had some idea where they wanted to go, but then you've got casting changes and some different stuff that had to happen that had to kind of sidestep and figure out, all right, well, that's not happening. What are we doing now? I've been watching a lot of Blind Wave on YouTube, which I mentioned last week on the show. And Eric is a big Star Wars fan and has a vast knowledge far beyond anything I've been able to retain. Uh, He's one of the Blind Wave folks. And he was saying that when the New Republic commando type show that was going to star Gina Carano. um, When that got axed, they lost a lot of the Imperial New Republic development that they were going to do. And I think what we're seeing in Mando, this is Eric, you know, his thoughts, is that we're seeing some of those threads from that other canceled show being put into Mandalorian. And it's kind of feels like a force feed in the same way that the first four episodes of Boba Fett felt like a force feed. Like this is a complete right. change of pace and information. And I don't know if I asked for this, why am I getting it sort of deal. And I and I think that it's about where we are with this. And I think it's just unfortunately necessary, I'll say, because I liked the information that I learned in episode three of Mandalorian season three. I don't like how mm-hmm. I learned it so much i was bored <laughs> like i watched it because it's star wars and it i just kind of said oh, that's course i'm just gonna see some cool stuff seeing like a bunch of star destroyers in dry dock quote unquote you know sitting there being decommissioned that was cool cool visual <laughs> you know but yeah but what was actually yeah. happening was not all that interesting and i i've as good as the performances as you had from the actors i found like you know the character of uh dr um pershing was one yeah. note which was I'm sad but want research like that was it that's I didn't get anything <laughs> from him other than that uh if yeah. anything it was the other um former uh officer on yeah um, what's his I face I don't there? know her name either yeah, yeah the the former officer there she she was really good in terms of her act. She like, you didn't trust her from the get-go. She was, again, having an Imperial, a former Imperial officer smile is really off-putting.
1: Oh, it's an, yeah. Right? It's a really strange, yeah. <laughs> it's a really
0: strange situation to be in. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, a uh, Elia Kane, I think is maybe. Her name? I'm just, I'm looking on the Wikipedia. That kind of yeah.
1: There's like a weird, shiny, shark, wet eyeball thing that happens with Imperial, like higher ups. And like she had it, which was just this like, you can smile or you can seem like, you know, shrug or whatever. You can look like you're being a friend or, or flirt or whatever it is. But there's a shininess. There's like you capture this shiny, bright, predatorialness in the eye. So when the smile comes, it's far more shark tooth snake. Like it's alarming. And yeah, I think I think people probably I think they did a good enough job of really making it seem like maybe, 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 maybe until then you're finally like, okay, here's the other here's where the other shoe drops. But um but yeah, to your point, I think overall it's necessary. It's interesting. I'm not 100% sure what Pershing's addition to the clone technology was other than he can kind of he can clone but make two hosts from what I gathered he can take
0: samples from two different DNA samples and combine them into a single host successfully or that is his plan
1: okay so so you won't end up with a bunch of um Django fat looking guys like no you could make uh, theoretically a bunch of clones that look like different people. So they don't appear like clones. So then it makes a lot more sense if like a Palpatine or somebody wanted to make a clone of himself. That wasn't like, Oh look, look there's this guy who's supposed to be dead. Like maybe we should like go kill him. He just looks younger. Yeah. Like, so that could, I mean, genetic engineering of that scale would obviously be very beneficial to, um, to uh, any insidious organization especially if they were also looking at Grogu's um, blood very early on and if that was why they wanted samples like Moff Gideon wanted samples further of Grogu's blood
0: and any host body or host for a clone I'm not sure what you want to call it maybe it's like a host ovum you know in terms of like mm-hmm. how you how you make the clone is that at that level of cloning does the clone have a metalorian count like Mm -hmm. like and i like it or or hate it the metachlorian thing is a real thing in star wars now and we know that Master yoda had one of the highest counts ever except for anakin and we could assume that maybe that that grogu does as well in terms of having a high metachlorian count and so taking the blood of you know a force sensitive creature like grogu and then using that to then combine with previous samples of dna from emperor palpatine and like trying to make a body that could then receive whatever sith force preservation of his consciousness that he's managed to achieve i feel like it's it's kind of like a way of beaming a jedi force ghost back into a body except for it's a sith right and that's Ooh, that's yeah. that's where i head candidate so far i'm very interested to see where they go with it um but it's i mean it's something that that they're looking into and unfortunately it's just that's a lot of information that has to get to the audience that they did not already receive in the movies and i think that Mm -hmm. had the movies been executed better we would have been better set up for this kind of thing but i think that there's a certain amount of backpedaling that that filoni and favreau have to do um i am also waiting the season to look forward and stay positive here to whichever episode that bryce dallas howard gets to direct because she (laughs) touches one in each uh, chapter of Of Mandalorian or Book of Boba Fett or whatever it happens to be and they all feel incredibly like Star Wars and so I'm waiting to see which uh which episode she's at the helm of episode four by the way as a teaser was directed by Carl Weathers
1: oh cool I always like when they give the opportunities I wonder if Pedro will ever want to direct that would be Um. cool
0: that would be cool because he's not often in front of the camera (laughs) it's not usually him in the suit unfortunately
1: it's uh he does the voice but that's it yeah I would uh, I would love to see um I wonder if he would direct an episode though with a little bit more humor and swagger. I mean just you see him in interviews it's just dra- it's just a fun drastic contrast yeah. to the characters he has been more popular at playing. I mean he's played a lot of stuff and shown up in a lot of things over the years. He is he actually has a quite long filmography but is his he's sort of a late bloomer in the sense of like you know Oberon Martel and then uh Game of Thrones. So yeah, he's been on these very somber, very splashy genre like things with Game of Thrones and Last of Us and Mandalorian. But in all of them you don't get to see the like goofy charm. Like if you like Pedro Pascal at all, um you really should watch his SNL. At least his uh his early like if you watch from the start of the episode I would watch like his monologue and the first two skits he's in. And you can tell on SNL if the guests they have, they have to hide because usually that guest kind of sits and plays a straight person and they rarely get to play a character or they rarely get to deliver more of the juicier, funny bits. But Pedro's allowed at least in a f- two or three different skits. and in, And of those, I would say about half of them land to deliver some of the meatiest funniest stuff and i think that's because he's just he's really talented and he's very charming and it's nice again to see him in something other than in this somber yeah uh daddy
0: mode <laughs> i really enjoyed him in narcos it wasn't daddy mode but it was good good acting it was high stakes yeah. stuff but it was it was um not like a charming funny <laughs> it was about drug lords in Colombia. Well, we're looking forward to the rest of season three. I'm sure I will be back to talk about it again as the season wraps up. I think I'll probably do it in chunks rather than episode by episode, but uh, looking forward to that. We're a little pressed for time this week so that is going to be where we wrap this up we record every wednesday that we can and those are posted up at the as well as any podcatcher that you like you can get more information about the show and some of the links all at the website the music was of course composed by kevin mcleod you can email the show with your thoughts on mandalorian season three or anything else that you're watching at the at gmail.com or follow the show by name on twitter Subscribe for free, we're even on YouTube. It's all accessible depending on what platform you like. Word of mouth is the easiest way to support the show. Just tell a friend about the Citadel Cafe and where they can go to listen to it. You can also support on Patreon. If you want to help us financially, you can go to patreon.com slash the Citadel Cafe. You'll get access to member-only Discord servers as well as the BristCut bonus audio sessions when we get a chance to record those. Special thanks to our Bean Counter patrons, Cosmic and Smurf588. Thank you very much for your support on this episode. Patron count is at 27. That is steady on from the last recording. Each time we sit down, we'd like to have at least one more patron than the previous episode. If you'd like to be patron number 28, visit patreon.com thecitadelcafe Cafe. My name is Joel Duggan, and everything that I'm doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com. That includes a link to my other podcast, All About Minecraft, at thespawnchunks.com. I am Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week. These days, it is every day. Friday is normally Lego. The rest of the time is devoted to Minecraft as I get closer and closer to finishing my medieval fantasy town of Westdale. Brockett, where can people find you online?
1: You can usually find me at the Volver or CatVolver on most of the socials that matter.
0: You've been listening to the Citadel Cafe, where we are fast, easy, and cheap, but you can only pick two.